good morning. Welcome to Great Oaks. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Genders, and I work for Youth for Christ, uh, primarily in Metamora, but also um, helping around in Peoria and different places. I also work at Metamora High School, so I get to see a number of students around, and uh, so I get to do this all the time. Lee, and pull that mask up for me. Thank you. I get to do that all day, every day at school. So I had to, man. I was sitting on the front row, and I looked over, and I'm like, ah, I tell you that every day. Um, hey, we are... <laughs> We are starting a new uh, Christmas series this Sunday. Uh, I'm going to go through the month of December. It's called Songs of Christmas. And every day, um, every Sunday, we're going to choose a different song, and we're going to pull a line from that, and we're going to build a message uh, out of that. Um, and so, you know, today is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We're going to sing that at the end of the service today. Um, but we are just glad you're here. We hope you're going to tune in for the next few weeks. Um, we, we had in our intro beforehand, we had uh, Nate upstairs and doing the, the live broadcast before service started, and, and we had a, a, a mention for our, our online viewers at home, you're going to want this phone number, so grab a pencil or grab your phone um, and go ahead and put a text in to this phone number, it'll be on the screen here in a minute, but 309-276-0885, and you'll understand why you need that number uh, here in a few moments, but 309 276 0885. That's only for our online people. So all of you that are here, sorry, you don't get to play the game. Uh, there is a prize for our online viewers, by the way. I've got a $15 Dairy Queen gift card. Uh, you're going to get more instructions on what to do with that. So sorry, everybody. Hey, so uh, I always like to do a big idea for every message I ever deliver. And so I'm just going to start with that right off the bat. The big idea today is that God gives us peace. And if you want to go and get your Bibles open, grab you know, your version uh, Bible app. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 uh, later in the service. Luke chapter 2, we're going to be looking at the birth story of Jesus uh, in verses 1 through 20. So Luke 2, 1 through 20. So uh, I was in uh, a Zoom YFC staff meeting the other day. How many of us are sick of Zoom at this point, right? Um, but we had, to, we had a, a Zoom staff meeting, and it was our senior leadership, and so we spent a lot of time together, uh, both in person and on Zoom. And uh, I was asked a question during that. They said, Chris, did you get a chance to look at this portion of our strategic plan? And I just responded quickly. I said, I've given it some ancillary thought, but nothing in depth. And one of my coworkers pauses. He goes, hold on. He goes, I'm not making fun of you. I'm seriously not. He goes, but ancillary? Like, who uses that word? Like, what, is that, what does that even mean? He goes, I'm seriously not making fun of you. And, and so I had to explain the word ancillary. It's just secondary thought. I hadn't dug into the strategic plan in that section enough to be able to speak with veracity about it. See what I did there? Um, but I only ancillary thought. But it, it made me realize that I love words. I, I love big words. And I try not to use them for, like, impressive. I just, they just kind of roll out. I do a lot of reading. Um, I, it was reminded the other day I was watching Harry Potter and Dumbledore made this line. Words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic, capable of both inflicting injury and remedying it. I thought that was a great quote. But we want to we do a little something with words today. And so I don't know how, how many of you have the game Balderdash at home. Anybody? Anybody? Is this an old? Wow, Karen. Okay, the Wallaces and the Genders. We're going to get together sometime and play Balderdash. So Balderdash is a game, and this is where you are in person and at home. You're going to have some actions that you have to do. 
So just get ready for this. I'm a youth pastor, so uh, this is a participation game. Everybody's going to have to stand up, and you're going to vote on a definition for a word. It is a legitimate word, but you have to choose which of the, one th- of the three definitions you think is the right one. And so we're going to put a word up on the screen. We're going to give you three different definitions, and then you're going to vote. Now, here's how you're going to vote. Um, if you choose A then you are going, everybody's going to be standing, by the way, and you got to do this at home, too. This is how you get the Dairy Queen gift card. you got to do these motions, take a picture of yourself doing that, send it to that cell phone number, right? It's, it's Nate's, like, burner, he's a spy. It's a temporary cell phone number, so don't think you're going to reach Nate all the time. But send a picture of you and your family to that cell phone number, again, 309-276-0885, and we're going to choose one of those to send a Dairy Queen gift card to Uh, later today. But you have to participate at home as well. So if you think it's A, uh, you're all going to be standing. If you think it's A, you're going to flap your wings like an angel, okay? If you think it's B, you're going to fall asleep like baby Jesus in the manger. I'll go this way so I don't ruin the mic. And if it's C, you're going to baa like a sheep. That's a horrible baa. It's a horrible baa. But you're going to have to do that, okay? So everybody stand up. Everybody at home, stand up. Join us online as well. So here's our first word. These are real words. Boriborigamous. I don't even know how to say it. Borborigamous. If you think it's a large gas pocket in space, you're going to flap your wings. If you think it's a rumbling or gurgling noise in the intestines, you're going to sleep like a baby, um, which we probably wouldn't if we were rumbling in our stomachs. Um, or C, the large rotating wheel on a ferry boat, ba like a sheep. Everybody vote. What do you think it is? I don't hear any sheep. I hear sheep, but I don't hear sheep. You got to be proud of being a sheep. All right, borborigamous is actually B, a rumbling. All right, all right, keep track of your own points. There's no prizes, but you you get to brag later uh, today. So second word for us today, mamagui, mamagai, I'm not really sure. Uh, so if you think it's to deceive someone by flattering them or telling them lies, flap your wings. A scaled mammal, usually found in Egypt, you're sleeping like a baby. Or a slang term for a man who loves his mom more than his wife. Uh, we have appointments for counseling later, if that's true. Um, ba like a sheep. So go ahead and make your votes. All right, everybody online at home, you're doing this too, sending those pictures in. I wish you could see the crowd right now, home, home audience. This is pretty funny. Um, we don't get to do this very often with adults, so... The answer was for Mama Gooey, Mama Guy, to deceive. Oh, all right. So all you angel wings. Next one. We've got pill garlic. I'll just call it that, pill garlic. A type of bread used in Lebanese cooking. A bald-headed, hey. Or a broad-leaved plant native to northern Canada. So make your votes. What do you think it is? I see some people not participating. Or maybe it's the mask and you're all, buy- you're all buying a broadleaf plant native to northern Canada. Wow, nice. All right, the answer is, hey, hey, there we go. Just call me pill garlic, please. All right, two more. Snollygoster. Snolly- this one was my favorite one to find. A type of rude face similar to a snarl or glare, a person who takes frequent naps, or a shrewd or unprincipled person. Make your votes. Wow. All right, we got some babies. We got one angel over here. Nice. We got an angel back here. Okay. What's a snollygoster? Oh, wow. Lots of sheep. You guys, had you guys heard that term before? I kind of felt like it was a Harry Potter thing. So, all right, last one. Here we go. Oh, no, I might have two more. No, this is it. Wabbit. 
So, <laughs> wabbit. Exhausted or slightly unwell, a Scottish term. A piece of game equipment used in gobstones. Harry Potter, if you're a true Harry Potter fan, you know gobstones is a real game. It's not just Quidditch. Come on now, people. Or C, a slang term for rabbit made famous by Elmer Fudd. So uh, what do you think it is? Cast your vote. We got a lot of, a lot of buzz. We got some angel wings going. All right. All right. Well, all right. What's the answer? What do we got? Ooh, slightly. Give yourselves a round of applause. Thank you for playing. You can have a seat. Uh, at home, people, be sure, send in your pictures to that cell phone number. Uh, we will give one of these gift cards to one of you. So uh, there is another word, speaking of words, there's another word that I, I use a lot, and it just kind of rolls off my tongue, um, and it's dichotomy. Uh, dichotomy. Uh, the, the definition of dichotomy is this. It's a contrast between two things that are or are represented as being opposed or entirely different. A dichotomy, right? Two things. Here's some, some common examples of dichotomy. Uh, good or evil, right? That's a dichotomy. Male or female. Right or wrong. Left or right. This is we're in the political realm right now. You know, Democrat or Republican. Um, I am a walking dichotomy, if I'm honest with you. I'm a walking dichotomy. I love cycling and hiking and fitness and all that, but I also love donuts, all right? So I'm this, I'm this walking dichotomy. The two things that seem to be opposed to each other, they very much are opposed to each other, and yet they coexist in my life. We, we see dichotomies a lot in literature and uh, pop culture. Uh, we often see it used to, to create conflict between two opposing forces. I've referenced Harry Potter a few times this morning, right? But think about Harry Potter and Voldemort. Uh, they're a dichotomy, right? One is pursuing good and one is pursuing evil. Uh, for those who are my generation, think Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, right? There we go. Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Or uh, if you want to get really old, um, I don't think anybody's around when this was written, but Romeo and Juliet, okay? There's a dichotomy. They loved each other, but their families were the Capulets and Montague. Montague? Montague? I, I liked math better than literature. Uh, Montagues. Capulets and Montagues, right? They were a, a dichotomy. Interestingly, Scripture is filled with dichotomies. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but things that are, are presented that seemingly are opposite to each other. For example, love your enemies. Who does that, right? And yet it's a dichotomy that Jesus calls us to. Pray for those who persecute you. You want to become great? Become a servant. You want to experience a full life? Then die to yourself right? Those things seem very contradictory. They are dichotomies. This morning, as I said, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. If you want to look in your Bibles there, it won't be on the screen because it's a, it's a long text. And so I'm going to be reading from the NLT uh, translation, New Living Translation. You may be reading from a different one. But let's read this. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, uh, David's ancient home. Now, uh, Joseph, if you're not familiar with that name, is the name of Jesus' earthly father. Okay, So Joseph and Mary are traveling to Bethlehem. He, he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. We'll give it a second. Hey, there we go. I, it, it happens to me all the time, too. No worries. 
And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I, I bring you good news that will be, bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her hearts and thought about them often. And the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. You know, there's some, some interesting dichotomies in this story. Think about the powerful Roman Empire, right? They, they, they own all, they, they've oppressed a number of other nations, including Israel. And, and they make a decision that, that forces a, a poor peasant couple to make a long journey to their ancestral home. So we have a, a dichotomy of the, the controlling Roman Empire and, and the poor Jewish couple. Think about the fact that there was no room for Mary and Joseph in the inn where humans would normally sleep. And so instead, they're, they're, they're forced to sleep in a barn or a cave, you know, with the animals. Think about this dichotomy, the, the king of the universe, the, the, the creator of all things, the one who, who holds the universe together in his hands, the, the long-awaited Messiah in the line of King David. He's not born in a palace, but rather in a cold, dark, and smelly barn. If you've ever read Max Lucado, he does an astounding job of putting you there in the barn. And he says, don't clean the manure out of the barn. Don't clean the smell and the grossness out of the barn. This is where our Savior was born. Think about this dichotomy. The, the announcement of his birth it was not sent to other kings. It wasn't passed along the Roman roads. It wasn't sent in, in sealed letters with the king's seal on it announcing his son's birth. But instead, it was delivered to lowly shepherds in the field. Have you ever asked yourself why the angels appeared to the shepherds? You ever thought about that? Like, why not, why not appear to the religious leaders of the day? You know, if it were me and, and I was going to make an announcement about the long-awaited Messiah, I, I'd, be, I'd be going to the high priest, the one who's in charge of the religious uh, affairs of all of Israel. I'd be going to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all the, the religious council of the day. I'd go to the synagogue leaders, the, the teachers of the law, the, the elite of society. I would want them to know the Messiah has finally come. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have made the announcement to people who were on the fringe of society. Maybe they were the only ones awake. It was the middle of the night. 
Maybe the angel's uh, timing got off and they appeared, you know, earlier or later than they expected to. And they're like, oh, wait, wow, our watches were off. Who's awake? Well, there's some shepherds. They're awake. So let's talk to them. It reminds me of my virtual learners through the high school. Uh, they have the freedom to work on their, their schoolwork anytime they want. Sometimes I wake up at 530 in the morning to text messages that came in at 1, 2, and 3 in the morning because that's when they were working. I don't respond at 1, 2, and 3 in the morning, just to let you know. But I have reached that age where I do respond at 5.30 when I wake up. I'm like, hey, you tried to text me while I'm asleep? I'm going to text you while you're asleep, right? Maybe the shepherds were the only ones awake. You know, the, the, the shepherds, here's what's interesting about them. They had no power. They had no influence. But they were, in that culture, considered honest and trustworthy. You could trust a shepherd. I mean, you trusted them with your sheep and with your goats and your cattle. They, they, they protected them from uh, all of the wild animals and from thieves. So you could trust a shepherd. Maybe that's, maybe that's why the angels went to him. You know, maybe it's because God appeared to some pretty famous shepherds in the Old Testament. I mean, think about Abraham, Jacob, Moses. You know, in the Old Testament, too, the, the kings of Israel and even God himself were referred to as shepherds. Think about King David. Uh, David was both a figurative uh, shepherd as the king of Israel and both a literal shepherd when he was a young man. Maybe the decision to appear to the shepherds had less to do with their availability or their trustworthiness, but was more of a foreshadowing of Jesus. It's a, a foreshadow of who Jesus would become. After all, Jesus himself one day said, I am what? the good shepherd. Or, or perhaps, and we don't know this, but perhaps these particular shepherds were the ones responsible for overseeing the animals that were sacrificed at the temple. You see, when Jesus was, was born and when he was alive and did his ministry, the nation of Israel was still under the old sacrificial system. Thousands of animals every year were sacrificed in the temple in Jerusalem, which is not far from Bethlehem. It's just a stone's throw from where the temple was, where Jesus was born. Perhaps the decision to appear to the shepherds displayed an even deeper foreshadowing. That the, the child born this night would one day become a sacrifice, just like the sheep that these men watched over that night. You remember the words of John the Baptist? He was baptizing in wilderness, waiting for the Messiah to be revealed to him. And Jesus comes along and John says this in chapter 1, verse 29 of John. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I think the angels choosing to appear to the shepherds probably has a lot deeper significance than any of us have ever considered before. Let's pause and think about angels, though. Angels are, are created supernatural beings. Let's just get that out there, right? They were created by God. They are supernatural beings. Um, they're not all-knowing like God. Uh, their job is to minister to the saints and to deliver messages, both good and bad. And, and, and they, they don't know everything. So can you imagine the rumors going around in heaven that day? They're, they're asking each other, like, did you hear what's going to happen? God is going to become like one of these guys. He's going to go down and, and, and live there with the humans. Like, why would he do that? What's happening here? If you've ever read, read in the scriptures, the, when an angel shows up, people were terrified. Like, it's not like our popular culture today where you're sitting at home and an angel appears and you're like, oh, that's sweet. 
Look, God sent an angel. No, it's like, ah! Well, I'm going to die. That's, that's literally people's response when angels showed up, right? This was not typically a good thing when angels showed up, which is why the first thing most angels say is, don't worry. Don't be afraid. It's okay. Calm down. Just listen to me, right? It sounds like a toddler sometimes. Um, I just threw that in there. That's spontaneous. Sorry. Um, but here, here's the deal. The angel shows up, and at first it's just one. You know, and then an entire sky is filled with them. Can you imagine the shepherds that night? Like, it's dark, it's quiet, you're sitting around the campfire, it's been peaceful, and all of a sudden, boom, angel shows up, and you're like, oh, and then the whole sky is filled. Like, you wouldn't know what to do. These guys were terrified. But the message they delivered that night was one that the Jews had been waiting for forever, that the Messiah had finally arrived. When I was in seminary, uh, one of my professors would often say this, we must get within earshot of the original authors. In other words, we have to try and put ourselves in the place of the first century Jew. Like, what did they see? What did they hear? What did they feel? What did they experience? You see, for the nation of Israel, they were waiting for the Messiah for centuries. Centuries. And, and their hope was that the Messiah, their understanding of the Messiah, was he was going to be a military hero. He was going to be a conquering general. He was going to be a king who sat on the throne. He was going to be a high priest that, that mediated before God. And the baby that was born this night, the, the long-awaited Messiah, he didn't meet their expectations. He, he wouldn't grow to become a military hero. He wouldn't grow to become a conquering king. He wouldn't, he wouldn't grow to sit on a throne reestablish Israel as a nation. He wouldn't grow up to, to be the leader of an empire. The baby born this night would not grow to become the high priest making the sacrifice. The baby born this night would grow to become the sacrifice. This baby, God in the flesh, the creator of the universe, sustainer of the universe, is now completely and utterly dependent upon a teenage girl and a confused young man. This baby would one day grow to be a suffering servant. Would one day become a man who would die a criminal's death on a cross. Would one day conquer death by rising from the dead. This baby, born into poverty, oppression, discord, and chaos, would one day usher in a new era of peace. It was 1914, World War I, was happening. Germans and British were in the trenches and they were facing off with each other. If you've ever studied history, ever been in, in a recreation of a trench warfare, it is horrific. Absolutely horrific. One of the, the worst catastrophes known to man was during, during trench warfare. And it was, it was Christmas. And all of a sudden, some German soldiers came out of the trenches, unarmed, no weapons. And they began to walk towards the British trenches. And the British were confused. They thought this was a trick. They, they thought something was happening. And, and then they heard the Germans singing Christmas carols. And so all of a sudden, the British set down their weapons. And they came out. And in the middle of no man's land in trench warfare, German and British forces, enemies to the core, celebrated Christmas together. They, they sang songs together. They exchanged gifts. They played some games together. This was not ordered by their generals. In fact, it probably astounded the generals. This was initiated by the men in the trenches. 
They declared a, a momentary ceasefire. They established their own temporary peace treaty. The night that the angels appeared to the shepherds, they said these words, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to whom God's favor rests. This word peace in Greek is arene. We get the name Irene from that, but the Greek word is arene. It's the equivalent of the, the Hebrew word shalom. It's not an ending of hostilities like we saw in 1914. It's not a, a temporary ceasefire, but it's actually a, a restoration of all things. Arene, shalom. It's, it's an act of completion, of wholeness. It's God returning the world back to the way he originally designed it to be. This, it's a fulfillment of all the promises of God. Arene, shalom. It's a realization of God's desire to offer both justice and mercy on the cross. Let me say that again. Arene, shalom, peace of God. is a realization of God's desire to offer both justice and the penalty had to be paid. Our, our sin had to be paid for. And yet God in his, his knowledge and his love for us knew that we couldn't make that payment ourselves. So he said, I have to act. I have to go and be that sacrifice. And by doing so, offer mercy to all of mankind. I'm reminded of the words of another angel who appeared to Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. And he said this to him, uh, this baby being born to Mary will save people from their sins. Can you imagine the weight of that statement? Your baby, Joseph and Mary, is the Messiah, is the Savior, is the Lord. And his life and his death and his resurrection from the grave will save all of mankind from their sins. See, but here's... Here's that final dichotomy. We live in, in the land between. Between what has already been realized through the victory of Jesus on the cross and, and, and the not yet final restoration of all things. We're in the land between. We're in this dichotomy. Jesus has already conquered death, and yet we know this world is not restored. We know this world is not the way God intended it to be. And, and it will be someday. We read the promises of God, and so we're in this place of tension and what I love about Christmas is that it's an annual reminder that one day the hostilities will end. In, in, in one final act, God will restore the entire universe and all of mankind back to its original design. And there truly will be peace on earth. Let me pray. Father God, would you give us this Christmas season just an understanding of the depth of your love for us. Father, that you looked down on us as, as mankind and you saw us uh, sitting eternally in our sin, in our shame, in our ridicule. Father, you saw what, what you had created originally in the garden, uh, perfect and holy. You saw that blemished and warped. Father, thank you that you are a God who act, who acts. Father, that you were a God who, who said, I cannot let my people stay there. Father, thank you that you're a God that came to this earth, who 
lived here among us, who walked among us. We have all the historical records of that. Father, thank you that at Christmas we get to celebrate your son, Jesus, who gave up the the throne room of heaven, the presence of of the, the Trinity. Father, Jesus, the second person of Trinity, existing before all things, existing before time, in this relational dance with God the Father and, and God the Holy Spirit, said, I'll go. I'll give of my life. I will bear the weight of their sin. Who does that? Only you, God. This Christmas, as we celebrate the songs of Christmas, may we celebrate the peace, the arene, the shalom, the the wholeness, the completeness, the, the restoration of all things that you provide here on earth. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.